Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. And welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. We are your hosts, Geordie Morrison and Dr. Raylia Lowe, CREI Fertility Specialist. Hello, Raylia. Hi, how are you, Geordie? I'm good. Not sure I'm ready for another week to begin, but Sunday afternoon is what it is. Raylia, absolutely. We, <laughs> we need another weekend to recover from the weekend. Today, we are going to talk about donor eggs. So we've spoken quite a bit about donor sperm um, before and we do touch on this topic a little bit, but we've never done a dedicated episode on donor eggs before. Would you like to explain to us where donor eggs come from? So maybe we'll talk about who needs a donor egg because where they come from can be so varied and there's different ways that we can obtain a donor egg, but who needs a donor egg is a woman who can't have a baby with her own egg in simple terms. And that might be because she is of an age where her egg quality is universally poor or that her chance, if not nothing, of getting pregnant with her own egg is so low that her IVF practitioner has suggested moving forward in another way and thinking outside the square, going down a donor egg pathway remembering that IVF is very invasive and expensive and we also want the chances to be real. And if the chances are very, very, very infinitesimally low, then we've got to think of other solutions. It might be a woman who has gone through menopause early and stopped making eggs at an age where most people still make their own. Or it might be a woman who has a genetic condition and she wants to avoid that condition in her child but she has a very low egg reserve and and it's not realistic to be able to do that with her own eggs and she might want an egg from somebody else so that she can have a healthy baby. So those are the main people who need a donor egg. We've talked about the physiology of how we make eggs naturally and in a natural ovulation cycle, most of the time we release a single egg and that's how most people get pregnant actually with a natural ovulation, releasing one egg and having sex so that sperm meets that one egg and all the stars align and the magic happens and an embryo is created and the woman gets pregnant. So that, that's everyone's ideal world scenario, but for many people it doesn't work that way. And many people who come to use a donor egg have first tried everything with their own you know, a lot of people who come to use a donor egg have had a history of multiple cycles of IVF. They've often had multiple previous specialists when they come to see me for an opinion about a donor egg. And sometimes they don't come to see me for an opinion about a donor egg, but we end up talking about a donor egg when we realise how poor their prognosis might be to succeed with their own egg. So if someone is at a stage where 
they need a donor egg in order to conceive. What would be the next stage of their fertility treatment? So we are very lucky in Australia in many respects with our fertility treatment support from Medicare, but we are unlucky, I believe, it's my personal opinion in some respect, in our legislation around egg donation. And some may say that we're not very progressive in our legislation around egg donation. In countries around the world where egg donation is common, they have two... I guess, facilitating things that help that. Firstly, they allow women who want to be egg donors to be commercially compensated for their donation. I think that is the main barrier in Australia to finding an egg donor who's not part of your extended team. And I find that most people who I help in my practice with donor eggs do have an egg donor who's part of their extended team barracking for their reproductive goals you know so it might be a sister it might be a cousin it might be a friend somebody who sees the anguish and the circumstance of deep desire that a woman and a family are going through to have a baby and who is willing altruistically out of the goodness of their heart and their belief and their support for success of that woman or couple to go through IVF for them and to donate an egg to them because that's basically what it takes to be an egg donor. You have to go through a cycle of IVF and that means two weeks of injections and you have to have ultrasound monitoring and blood tests and then you have a surgical procedure to extract your eggs as if you were going through IVF or egg freezing for your own advantage but you're doing it for somebody else so you can imagine that to do that without any financial compensation because in Australia it's illegal to financially compensate an egg donor you have to really be on the team of the person who is the recipient who's having the uh, the treatment to get pregnant so overseas that's that's not the case and IVF units have egg donor programs where egg donors are commercially, financially compensated for their donation. And that is, I guess, the carrot to have women who are otherwise altruistic wanting to donate to others. Another thing that is a barrier here is that donors of both egg and sperm are unable to be anonymous. So what that means is that they go on the register In Victoria, it's the VATA donor register. That is so when a child is of majority, once they reach the age of 18, there is a way back to find information about the donor, whether that's an egg donor or a sperm donor, it's the same. And a lot of the time when I'm treating patients who have a known donor, someone in their lives and on their team who is their donor, it's kind of superfluous because then it's not a secret. You know, they they know who their donor is and then they're going to potentially have some involvement in the child's life, albeit peripheral, um, and that knowledge will be there from the beginning in most cases. So kind of one thing that doesn't really make, I think, a big difference with a known donor, but with a clinic donor, there are countries around the world where young people come to the clinic and they have no interface or counselling conversation with the recipients And it might be their preference to be anonymous, even though that might not be from our Australian way of thinking in the long-term best interest of the child. 
And that's really what does drive the uh, Australian legislation. But it, it is in terms of helping women and couples to find an egg donor, it is a barrier because we find that in countries where anonymity is allowed, there is no shortage of egg donors. So that combination of commercial compensation and anonymity really does fulfill what donors want in terms of um, to satisfy the fact that donors have less barriers in terms of coming forward. We talked about in our sperm donation episode, we talked about the process of when you go and choose your sperm and what happens once you realise you need sperm. What happens when a patient needs donor egg? What, where do they go to next? So usually they come to someone like me to a fertility doctor to have the conversation. And I would say it's actually a really brave woman and couple who entertain the conversation in the first place because most people feel that it wasn't their plan A, B or C to use a donor egg. And so it takes a lot of psychological support to help a woman come to that point, even if that psychological support comes from their partner or from their friends, it might not come from a professional, but you know, I, I do think there's always room for professional counselling to help women who do need donor eggs, you know, fully comprehend the magnitude of that decision and also to come to terms with an inner grief that they will not be able to have a baby with their own egg, which everybody feels. And no matter what your reason for using a donor egg, and no matter how much you love your child, there is an inner grief that you cannot use your own egg and that needs to be supported and recognised. And it won't be the right thing for every woman to use a donor egg. They may decide, well, if I can't have a baby with my own egg, well, I'll either have an extended family being a member of the village to raise someone else's child or they might decide that they might adopt a baby or foster a child or children. There's other avenues to have a family other than giving birth to a baby. But having said that, women come to explore their options. And, you know, I will always ask, who in your life could be a donor for you? Is there anyone in your t- on your team, in your inner circle, who might be a donor for you? And sometimes there's a sibling and sometimes there is a friend and sometimes there's no one that, that someone can think of, of that they would ask. And that that's hard. And it, it's hard especially because a lot of women who need a donor egg are already in their 40s and all their friends are too. And their friends and their siblings are the same age or older. And not everyone has the perfect scenario of a sibling who's 10 years younger who's a willing donor, although some people do. That is a challenge and it's especially a challenge in COVID times because it used to be that you could jump on an aeroplane and go to a country where you could have a commercially available egg donor give you eggs. And whether people like us to talk about it or not, the reality is that used to happen all the time. Now, women used to jump on a plane and go to a country, South Africa or Greece, lots of different places where you could compensate an egg donor legally. And COVID has put a massive spanner in the works for many people, not only people who had planned to go and conceive their first child with an overseas donor egg, but also couples who've had a child with an overseas donor egg and who have embryos, which they can't bring home because they contravene the Australian legislation and particularly the Victorian, and they can't go to their embryos and they can't bring their embryos to them. So they're in a bit of a pickle right now. 
Lovers Products, Advanced Intimate Moisturiser, formulated for you. Medical knowledge meets female know-how. Find your ultimate satisfaction, safe for conception, at loversproducts.com.au. You mentioned earlier about how it's not on Medicare, there's no Medicare benefit to using donor eggs. Oh, no, there is. In Australia, there is. Oh. That, that's actually one of the very strong arguments for having treatment in Australia with a known donor because if you have treatment in Australia with a known donor, the cost of treatment is as if you were having IVF yourself. There'll be some extra treatment because it tends to be that while you can't compensate the donor financially to give you eggs, you can't pay for a donor egg, you can finance the treatment. Say I needed a donor egg, Geordie, and you were going to be my donor, I can pay for your IVF out-of-pocket expenses. That's not considered compensating you. I can't buy you a Ferrari (laughs) for giving me your eggs and I can't give you a check (laughs) for giving me your eggs. I can pay for your expenses in terms of -of out-of-pocket medical expenses and, and that's called reasonable expenses. But the thing is if you're a stranger and you didn't know me, you're not going to go through an IVF cycle to come out even Stephen for me who you don't know. Would you? <laughs> no, I would not. I've done it. I would not do it for free for someone I don't know. But there is a donor registry. Yeah, there is, but there's so many people waiting on it that it's a bit of a you know pie-in-the-sky situation. There's so many people who need a donor egg and there's so few people. There are some people around who will altruistically donate eggs to a unit. You know, They might themselves have frozen their eggs for their own use, for example, and they might then decide that they don't want to use them and they might donate them to a unit. Those kind of eggs are not the ideal eggs that we want in a donor program and they certainly wouldn't be the same kind of eggs necessarily. Not not that there's anything necessarily wrong with them but they're usually on average not the same kind of eggs that a couple would or a woman would receive from an overseas donor program with a commercial bent because those programs look for women who have a really high fertility and they compensate them to be their ideal donor so like recruit them to be donors based on their demographics so they want people who are young they want people who have a huge AMH where they're going to get heaps of eggs usually those clinics freeze eggs and batch them so that they might actually donate to multiple people from the same egg collection in an ideal world they're selected for their prime premium fertility whereas women who may have frozen eggs for themselves in an IVF unit and who choose to donate them should they not use them. Things are moving forward with egg freezing and it is being used more proactively by younger women but the first kind of cohorts of women who froze their eggs were generally over 35 looking at their fertility at a time where it had already declined where their ovarian reserve was not what it once was and the number of eggs that they've frozen is going to be limited because of the cost of freezing, particularly in the early days. And we also know that women tend to hang on to their eggs for quite a long time. We know that they hold on to eggs. Same actually with embryos, couples and women who go through IVF and have embryos. They tend to keep their embryos long after they have their last child until they are 110% sure that they will not need them anymore. So usually they keep them for a long time. It might be that one day women who have frozen their own eggs for themselves might be a viable source of donor egg for some people should they choose to donate them. But that is not something that's going to be an available resource in volumes that's required by egg donors or for egg donors now. 
So for the lucky people that have a known donor, I'm, it's the same process as, as if they were going through IVF, just it's their donor doing it. Is that right? So Yeah. So what we tend to do, what I tend to do in my practice, the donor has counselling and some screening, genetic screening, often just the routine pregnancy bloods, ultrasound, making sure that all the due diligence is, is done before going through an IVF cycle. And for my patients who are choosing a donor from their from their team, from their wider circle, you know, I usually say, look, who's the ideal donor? Well, the ideal donor is somebody who is under 35 so that they have eggs of reasonable quality. They should have a, a good egg count if at all possible because they're not going to do this for you four or five times. They'll probably only do it for you once. So you want somebody who's got a really good prognosis to help you have a baby. And in an ideal world, they should have had children and they should have had them naturally because we want someone with good, uncompromised underlying fertility. And we also know that women who've had children themselves are less likely to have any psychological issues in terms of giving their eggs to somebody else. Whereas somebody who has never had children may have regret or decisional regret in the future if their own reproductive plans don't work out, but they've donated to someone else. So it's not an absolute deal breaker if they've not had children, but it's something you'd certainly raise in counselling. I've got a patient at the moment who is relatively young, but knows for uh, medical reasons that I won't disclose here that she can't have babies with her own eggs, a genetic concern. And her sister before having children has decided to have uh, eggs put aside for her. It's a beautiful thing to do. There are always exceptions to every rule. In general, you want to protect the donor from psychological sequelae that might not be good in their future too. So you kind of want to want to do what's best for everybody and make sure that once a donation has happened that it's in the best interest of all parties. So yeah, so basically what I do is I stimulate the donor, so stimulate just like in IVF. Before doing that, I put them both the donor and the recipient on the pill to sync their cycles. Uh, and so we want them to be at the exact stage synced, synced cycles. Uh, and that way they actually both start treatment in the exact same time frame. But the donor starts treatment, treatment aimed at stimulating the ovary and retrieving the egg. And the recipient starts treatment in line with along that same timeline getting the uterus ready to receive an embryo and preparing for implantation so that the egg is taken from the donor, fertilised with sperm, either from the recipient's partner or from donor sperm. You can have donor egg, donor sperm too, some people do. And then the embryo is created and so that that fresh embryo that's never been frozen can go back into the womb of the recipient, the person who needs the donor egg. And that's a nice way of doing it. You don't, of course, have to do it that way. You can have an embryo freeze cycle where you collect the eggs and fertilize them uh, and make embryos and then transfer the embryos after freezing them in a subsequent month. So you don't have to sink the donor and the recipient, but I tend to do that because it's a really lovely way of doing things. And it's actually, I think, very nice for the relationship of known donors and recipients that they're going through that treatment simultaneously and there's nice closure of the donation when the embryo transfer happens to follow the egg collection. I think it's beautiful. In your time of helping women using donor eggs to conceive, 
Have you ever had women have any regret that they went down that path or find that they have trouble bonding with their child? Do you, do you ever Have you ever seen anything that would make you think it's not a good idea? Look, I don't, but I do have women that I counsel who have a lot of consternation in advance. I don't think I've ever had a patient who's regretted doing it in terms of having a baby with a donor egg. But in terms of consternation, making the decision, now, women think, is this going to be my child? Will I love the baby if it doesn't have my DNA? I think that's a common worry that people that people feel. I say to patients, and, and my patients who are listening probably will have heard me say this because I do say this often, the egg is a, it carries DNA. It's a very important cell. DNA is a blueprint for half the genome. Our children never have more than 50% of their DNA from us, best case scenario, right? There's always 50% of the DNA of every child that's from someone who's unrelated to us, be that our partner or our donor. Your child is your child. Their DNA combination is unique to your DNA combination. Look, it's beautiful to see characteristics in your children that come from you and, you know, those physical characteristics and some, some, not all, but some behavioural characteristics can come from you as well, although there's nurture as well as nature on that score. But you know, an egg is a single cell. An egg is microscopic. You cannot see an egg with the human eye. And I say to my patients, look, every molecule in that baby's body comes from your body when you carry a pregnancy. Every molecule, it comes from your body. You build the baby. So the DNA blueprint comes from the donor. The instruction manual comes from the donor, but it's an egg that's donated. It's not a baby. And that baby grows within you and every molecule of that baby's body comes from your body. And every experience that you have with that child comes from you. You're there. You're there when the baby cries. You pick that baby up. You know, you feel that baby kicking inside you. You give birth to that child. You nurture that child. You are the mother. There is no other mother egg is a precious gift it is a beautiful gift but you know it is it is just a single cell from that point of view I think that's how women really feel when they have their child right? and it's not kind of about the egg anymore at that point I also think if it's not a secret it's not a shame and I think it's part of that kid's narrative you know you just if you if you let your child know where they came from and the beautiful gift that you received in order to bring them into the world because you wanted them so much and you loved them so much, you know, that you are willing to do this. They just think, oh, well, that's how I came along. You know, it's not a big surprise and it's not a shock. And it's just another way of making a family. And they never would have come into being if it were not for the, the mother who carried them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just part of how they came into the world, we all have our unique set of circumstances, how we come into the world, and that's just part of their narrative. Raylia, you're always good for stories. Tell me, do you have any great stories about how people have found their donors? Look, there's so many stories of how people have found their donors. Uh, one story that I think is very inspiring, one of my patients was thinking about who could be their egg donor, and they were chatting, as you do, at her hairdressing session when she was getting her hair done and her hairdresser actually ended up being her egg donor we all we all lay our hearts kind of on the on the line and our hairdressers know everything don't they about our lives 
But that, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty good story. Yeah, look, I'd encourage women who are looking for a donor, especially in these times where it's difficult to travel, for women who are looking for a donor in Australia, think outside the square. There are also some Facebook forums that I know of that people can go on looking for altruistic donors. And there are some altruistic donors out there. But I would say most of my patients who find a donor in Australia is from someone from their extended team, from their inner circle, and sometimes from their outer circle. It's worth having the conversations. The more conversations you have, the more likely you are to find a donor. Lovely. Great story. Thank you so much, Raylia. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. 